Good morning. I think this thing is working, isn't it? I hope. Can you hear me? Good. Uh, Justin was kind enough to read Philemon this morning for us, which is what we will be hearing from today. Paul's letter to Philemon, it's right after the five T's, two Thessalonians, two Timothys, and one Titus, and right before Hebrews, if you may not go there that often. All right. Father, thank you for every word that is in your word, Lord, even books like Philemon that, Lord, show us, tell us many wonderful things about you and your servants and the gospel and how now we shall live in light of the fact that we who are called by you are children of God and all that that makes us, all that that requires of us, Lord, all that that does between us as a community of believers. So help me today to say these things well and give us all ears to hear from the word of the Lord. So if you're there in Philemon, it is, as you can see, just one page in our Bible. It is a letter written by Paul to a man named Philemon regarding another man named Onesimus. That's it. That's what the letter is about. And Paul's point is to ask Philemon to do something regarding Onesimus. Unlike other letters in the Bible written by Paul, this is a letter written to an individual, similarly to 2 John and 3 John. So it's a bit like listening in on a private conversation, although we will never hear Philemon's response to Paul. One of the main evidences of this privacy is in the main part of the letter. Whenever Paul uses the word you, it's singular. Today, we will find one of the main takeaways from this letter is the degree to which Christians are bound to one another through their common faith, regardless of cultural, economic, or racial differences. Now, because it's a personal letter about a very specific issue, it's not teaching overt theological truths as Paul is often doing in his other letters. In this letter, Paul is so delicate in his approach to Philemon, asking Philemon to act on his own out of love rather than compulsion, that Paul is often making his case indirectly. Paul might even be accused of being an indirect communicator. The best evidence shows it was written by Paul during his first Roman imprisonment around the same time as Colossians and Ephesians. Philemon, to whom Paul is writing, is a resident of Colossae. So we see at the end of the letter to the Colossians that Paul is sending both this letter we have our Bibles open to and the letter we know as Colossians to Colossae by messenger. And along with the messenger and the two letters is the man Onesimus, who is the subject of this letter to Philemon. Here's the passage from Colossians. Help 
us understand what we are looking at. Paul writes to the church there, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. So to begin with, let's understand who the three main characters are. Paul himself, of course, needs no introduction. Philemon, to whom the letter is addressed, is a resident of Colossae, and apparently a Greek, and at least relatively wealthy for two reasons. Number one is he is a slave owner. And number two, there is a church which meets in his house. Slave owner and owner of a house large enough for a church to meet, so he's a man of some means. The third character is Onesimus, who is a slave of Philemon. He is in fact a runaway slave from his master, Philemon. Now the primary reason Paul writes is revealed in verse 10 where he says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. And then Paul says, receive Onesimus as you would receive me, Paul. So before us is a short story which shows the heart of Paul to his Christian brothers. Paul begins the letter by writing, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Philemon is a Christian man, a fellow worker of Paul's, also addressed as Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, a ministry worker. These two, besides Philemon, are often thought to be his wife and his son, although it's not certain. This letter is really written personally to Philemon, even though Paul also writes, and the church that meets in your house, because they will eventually know about this letter. Now, at the very beginning of the letter, we see something unique. Paul begins by saying he is a prisoner for Christ Jesus. In many of his letters, he begins by saying he is an apostle, but never prisoner. Here it's Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And this is important because Paul is making very certain Philemon doesn't think Paul is simply appealing to his apostolic authority and ordering Philemon to do what Paul wants him to do. Rather, Paul, as we will see, is appealing to him on the basis of love and mutual submission to Christ in their dealings with each other. And of course, we note even though Paul is imprisoned by Caesar, he doesn't say he is a prisoner of Caesar's, Rather, he is a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And so Paul, at the beginning, provides a not-so-subtle reminder of his own sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. And then Paul tells us about Philemon when he says to him, our beloved fellow worker. So during one of Paul's missionary trips, he encountered Philemon at some point, and he responded to the gospel and became a follower of Christ. But more than that, somehow he became an associate of Paul's and worked with him to the extent Paul here calls him 
our beloved fellow worker. Paul had apparently never actually been to Colossae, so it was Philemon who traveled somewhere to encounter Paul, most likely in Ephesus. So Paul begins to address Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. He says he is praying for Philemon, and the reason he's praying for him is because he hears how his love and faith are working themselves out in blessing other believers, the saints there in Colossae. And this praying for Philemon is described in the next verse, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, some may note this verse is somewhat difficult to understand what exactly Paul is saying. He says Philemon should be sharing his faith and thus leading him to some type of fuller knowledge. And the sharing he's talking about uses the word koinonia, which we are familiar with having the sense of fellowship. So Paul is emphasizing the fellowship, the relationship believers have amongst themselves by virtue of their mutual faith in Christ, and he will do so throughout this short letter. And this fellowship, this mutual connection, creates not only friendships, but also mutual obligations to each other. And it's this mutual obligation Paul is going to appeal to regarding the relationship between Philemon and his slave Onesimus. Not by ordering Philemon as an apostle, but appealing to this mutual submission believers must have to each other to do good because we are all servants of Christ. And then Paul finishes his initial introduction to Philemon. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul refers to how Philemon's sharing of his faith, his liberality in doing good, his mutual participation with others in the faith is showing itself. Paul has derived great joy and comfort because Philemon has been busy refreshing the hearts of the saints. Now, why does Paul take all this good Philemon has done and focus it on the expression that he has refreshed the hearts of the saints. This Greek word for heart here is unique. Of the eight times Paul ever uses this word for heart, three of them are found right here in this very short letter. This is not the Greek word cardia for heart that is used throughout the New Testament. That is not the heart of this letter to Philemon. This is the Greek word that refers to the inward parts, the emotions, the affections, like in Philippians. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection, there's that word Paul is using, the affection of Christ Jesus. This goes along with being a very personal appeal by Paul regarding his dear brother in Christ, a slave, Onesimus. Paul says to Philemon, 
for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Why? Because Philemon's faith and love rooted in Christ have been working not only in Philemon, but many others have been royally blessed through him. And this sets the stage for Paul to request he continue to do what is best for the Christian community. And so reading on, Paul makes his request, his appeal to Philemon. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So Paul begins his appeal by setting aside his apostolic authority and does not command Philemon to fulfill his request. He could be bold and order Philemon, rather appeals on the basis of love. And this is not a manipulation by Paul. From here on, he continues to make his appeal as a fellow brother in Christ. Paul is relying on the fact our relationships to one another in Christ create expectations and impose obligations which can't be ignored. Jesus, of course, is the best example of brotherly commitment, and so something like his parable of the Good Samaritan is a reflection of the heart Paul has. Paul's love for the slave Onesimus reveals that. So Philemon not only has to do the right thing, but for the right reason, not begrudgingly. And of course, the entire church will eventually hear Paul's request and see Philemon's response. Paul mentions he is both an old man and a prisoner for Christ. This is the second time already he has reminded Philemon he is a prisoner for Christ. That's not to make him feel sorry for Paul, but is in keeping with the idea that all believers are in a struggle together. Struggle because of and for the gospel, whatever the cultural or racial backgrounds of life. Paul is not only a prisoner, but having to do it as an older man. It's a community thing. So now, Paul finally gets to the reason for this letter. He is appealing to Philemon for his son, as Paul calls him, for his son, Onesimus. Paul says he became Onesimus' father while he was in prison. So somehow, Onesimus came to know Paul, and through Paul's preaching, he became a believer. There is a very important point that changes everything about the person themselves. It also changes the relationship between people, like Paul and Galatians. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Philemon is being informed his relationship to Onesimus has indeed been changed forever. They are eternal brothers in Christ. And he confirms this to Philemon in the next verse. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. 
But note this is also a word play here because he writes about useless versus useful, and the name Onesimus means useful. Of course, the name Onesimus was not uncommon for a slave because of its meaning useful. But clearly there is something more here than a wordplay. Paul is saying he knew somehow the slave Onesimus was useless to Philemon. Not because Onesimus couldn't serve Philemon as a slave, but rather it shows Onesimus' behavior has been changed by his conversion. His heart had been changed. So now he acted in a useful manner. Onesimus was diligently serving Paul in some way which was very helpful and also created was the close relationship between Paul and Onesimus. So as we get into the main body of this short letter, we see Paul has taken this basic tact. He laid the groundwork by doing three things. First, he goes over what happened to result in him writing this letter and making his appeal to Philemon, that by God's providence, the runaway slave Onesimus has met Paul and become a Christian and close companion. But to make things right, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon, his master, for whatever reconciliation may happen. Secondly, Paul reminds Philemon of his difficult circumstances, being in prison. And then thirdly, he makes it clear to Philemon how hard it is for Paul to send Onesimus back because Paul loves him dearly, this son in the faith. Not only that, but Onesimus was very helpful to Paul in his ministry. Then Paul brings an important point home, that all this providence of God has brought slave Onesimus together with Master Philemon as brothers in Christ. A Christ-centered brotherhood has been created. And after laying out all this foundation, he finally says to Philemon, please welcome back my dear son Onesimus. Paul finally says what he is actually doing, and at the same time, how difficult it is for him. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Paul loves Onesimus. Paul is taking the initiative and sending his Christian brother, the slave Onesimus, back to Philemon. How willing or not the slave was to go back is unknown from the contents of the letter. But the fact is Onesimus had become a brother in Christ and close dear friend to Paul. And Paul makes clear the depth of his relationship to Onesimus saying, he is my very heart, a very special heart. Now we understand historically during this period of time in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, any fugitive slave who took sanctuary with a free person, which Paul is, could normally be either one, reconciled to his master, or two, be put up for sale and the proceeds given to the master. And Paul knows that Philemon, as the master of the slave, has the ultimate say over what happens to Onesimus. So next, Paul reiterates his hope that Philemon will do what Paul asks 
out of a willing heart and also explains the result of Onesimus's conversion and what it means to Paul. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Onesimus is serving Paul during his imprisonment for the gospel. But this serving is unlikely to be this slave preaching the gospel along with Paul, but a more general seeing to Paul's need while he is in chains. But of course, note Paul once again brings up the fact he is in chains for the sake of the gospel. Yes, he may be trying to incline Philemon's thinking to Paul's request, but he's also reminding him serving for the gospel will often bring suffering. And if one part suffers, every part suffers, as Paul writes elsewhere. Paul again comes from a worldview of a Christian community, something unique in the course of human history. So Paul describes what Philemon might do regarding the slave Onesimus comes from Philemon's goodness. And to Paul, this goodness is not just that it would be helpful to Paul, but because it would be pleasing to God. That Philemon would do it cheerfully and not under compulsion, like in 2 Corinthians. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And note, Another important point here also, Philemon's fellow slaveholders in Colossae, whether believers or not, would hear about this entire interaction between Paul and Philemon. They would see what Philemon did was not forced upon him by some religion. Rather, he did it out of his goodness as a believer. Now Paul is going to turn to the restoration of the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. And in these next two verses, we actually come to know Onesimus was Philemon's slave who ran away. For this purpose is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul is focusing here on God's providence and what was wrong being turned for good. Not only did Onesimus run away, but we will see he apparently even stole from his master as he left. But God has turned all of that wrong into something glorious, not only the salvation of Onesimus, but also a reconciliation between an angry master and his slave. So we see here the echoes of what happened with Joseph when his brother sold him as a slave, and thus Joseph ended up in Egypt, saving untold numbers of people from starvation. And so the challenge of reconciliation confronts Philemon. 
Suddenly one day, with no apparent warning, standing before Philemon, is the slave who ran away and stole from him, and he has every reason to be angry. But with what Paul has now disclosed to him, he understands Onesimus is returning as a believer in Christ, is repentant. He is now a fellow brother in Christ, along with all the implications of their new relationship. And Paul emphasizes this when he says Onesimus, who is Paul's very heart, is even more beloved to Philemon. So, Paul has completed his method of persuasion to Philemon by having laid out all the new relationships between these three very different men. Relationships which have been created because of Jesus Christ and their faith in him, a Jew, a slave, and a Greek. Paul is a highly educated Jew by training. Onesimus starts out as a runaway slave, no doubt living in the underworld of Rome before coming in contact with Paul. By Onesimus's conversion, he has become a brother in Christ to Paul and is now very useful to him in ministry and become like a son to him. Meanwhile, between Paul and Philemon, he has not only become a believer, but has also been a partner with Paul in his ministry. And finally, the relationship between Philemon and slave Onesimus. Paul is hoping that is about to be radically changed as well. This also solely because of what Christ has done in both of them. Paul asking Philemon, to receive Onesimus back, no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. Is Paul expecting the slave Onesimus, now a brother in Christ, to be freed by Philemon? There has always been much debate about that issue. A freed slave might even continue to serve his master. But when Paul says to Philemon regarding slave Onesimus, that he should receive him back differently, it should be obvious that calling someone a dear brother in Christ and at the same time owning them as a slave is problematic. So although Paul does not here directly address the evil of that institution, it could only wilt and die in a culture with a true Christian worldview. One commentator says it perfectly about what is said in this letter. A principle is boldly enunciated, which must, in the end, prove fatal to slavery. So now, in verse 17, Paul finally makes his direct appeal to Philemon about Onesimus. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. He had said before rather ambiguously about what he wanted when he had said, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. But up to this point, he has been establishing the relationship these three men all have to each other by virtue of their faith in Christ, their service in the ministry, and to each other. So on the basis of those relationships, he makes his appeal in verse 17. Paul starts out with the word, so. So after all that, here is what I want. If you really do consider me your partner in the gospel, 
if we say once again the partnership is not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others, because we are servants of Christ, like Paul says to the Philippians, he prays with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, Paul gives the punchline to Philemon. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. So Philemon is sitting there, having this letter read to him, and Onesimus is standing there. Onesimus, the slave who had run away, stealing something in the process, as we will see in a moment. This slave who Philemon had not seen in who knows how long, who he thought he may never see again, well, Philemon may not have been feeling much love for him at that moment. And Paul says, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. Receive him, the one who Paul says is his very heart. So, Within this short story is a real-world example of what Paul was teaching about when he told the Galatians this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel does away with focusing life on those differences of race, culture, or status between this Jew, this slave, this Greek. And here it shows itself as Paul wanting Philemon to forgive Onesimus from the heart. Not because the great apostle Paul says so, he wants it to be done because of Philemon's love for Christ and his obligation he therefore has to the Christian community. And then Paul takes care of a detail possibly a huge issue which may be causing some anger in Philemon at this point. So he says it immediately after the bold request of receiving Onesimus back with open arms. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul takes that issue off the table. Anger on Philemon's part about what Onesimus may have stolen when he ran away is diffused. Paul does say, if Onesimus owes you anything, well, Paul and Onesimus are dear friends who have been laboring together while Paul is in prison. So we can fully understand Onesimus has shared with Paul the circumstances of his life and is running away. So it's very likely not much of an if he stole something when he ran away. A slave would need money when on the run. And Paul says, charge that to my account. So here in this short letter, Paul is not telling us about faith in Christ, forgiveness of sins, substitutionary atonement. He's not admonishing us about the devil and sins which plague mankind. But actually, the results of the gospel are clearly in here. Paul lives it constantly. So in his letters, it's clear he is saturated in his life with and by the gospel. He tells the Corinthians, I decided to know nothing among you except 
Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he tells them, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win more of them. And he does it all for the sake of the gospel. So if that's the heart of Paul, then what happens when Paul writes a personal letter to a fellow believer about his dear friend Onesimus? It is saturated with the gospel's impact on all these relationships. Paul intercedes to Master Philemon on behalf of the one who has done wrong, Onesimus, but is now repentant. Paul says, receive him, forgive him. Paul says, whatever debt Onesimus has to his master, Paul says Onesimus can't pay it, but Paul will pay it in his stead, no matter what it is. So what is going on here in this short letter? Paul is a prisoner. Why? For the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy is with him. Why? Because he's training him to be an evangelist and teacher. He's always praying for the saints that they may walk in the faith. Paul loves Philemon because he has become a fellow brother in the Lord through the preaching of the gospel. And Paul's full of joy because now Philemon is blessing the saints. Paul loves Onesimus, his very heart, because through the gospel, he has been converted to be his brother. And now he's a key helper to Paul in the preaching of the gospel. But Paul must trust God for what is best by sending Onesimus back. And Paul will trust that somehow the resources will have come available to pay the debt of Onesimus, as he promised. What is ultimately behind all he is doing here in this letter? Paul's central focus that the true gospel will continue to be spread, as he says elsewhere, I do everything for the sake of the elect. But of course, it is God who does the saving by that gospel and cleans them up changes the slave and master. Paul is only a servant of Christ. Paul takes in a runaway criminal, most likely lived in a seedy underworld with thugs, but Paul makes him his helper and loves him as a son, his very heart. So we see clearly the effects of the gospel between people, no matter their background, race, or culture. Paul, is a former Pharisee studied under Gamaliel. That's a high position, basically like a Harvard graduate. Paul was a very selfish, self-righteous Pharisee who had spent much of his life looking down his nose at how bad others were. Lowly non-Jews, sinful, low class, in need of correction and punishment. And Onesimus? was basically a homeless person living in the Roman underworld, a wanted man. And because of the gospel and its result in new birth in these two men, by God's mercy, they have become brothers. Paul says this criminal, this homeless guy, has become his very heart. He will even pay his debts for his former crimes. 
Hey, Philemon, the guy you relied upon in your household, the one who stole from you and ran away, receive him back like your own brother because he is now your eternal brother in Christ. The gospel is always like that with most everything contradictory to a corrupted culture. Just to make the obvious repetition here, the true saving gospel's effect on the relationships as we quoted. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul proves that's all true because of Jesus Christ and the gospel. All we read about these three men from completely different cultures or uncertain races, a Jew, a slave, a Greek, the true gospel has changed and reconciled them. It proves there is no need to wokeify the gospel, to wrongly focus on social justice by human definition, saying it must focus on skin color or cultural differences, focus on discriminations perceived or imagined. No, Paul's letter here rejects that by showing how relationships work when we let the true saving gospel just do its work in us, creating the Christian community Jesus wants for us. The gospel is and must continue to be focused on the good news of Jesus Christ and what is truly important in a Christian's life, not outward appearances or differences. Christ's death and resurrection, repentance and obedience of faith. Your faith in his sacrifice for your sins upon that cross. The gospel which says, if you want to live, you have to die to self. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it for the sake of the gospel. If you want to waste your life, live it for yourself. If you have an enemy, love him. If someone harms you, forgive him. If something's evil, overcome it with good. If you want to live eternally, you have to die temporarily here now in this life to sin. Your best life now? No, your treasure is in heaven. If you have nothing, believer, you actually have everything. You have Christ and every one of his promises. Onesimus, he may have stayed as a slave in this life, who knows, but he had been eternally set free in Christ. Father, we thank you for your amazing word, no matter where we look, when we search it and chew on it and mull it and let it go deep down inside of us, we see it always points back to you, your salvation, your love for those who you've called. Lord, how you create friendships and relationships between people 
Lord, in a way that is unique in the world because it is that we are all one in Christ Jesus, regardless of outward appearances or the cultures we come from or the lives we may have lived. We are now eternal brothers and sisters. We are the family of God. And we have the purpose of worshiping you and bringing others into the kingdom that we all stand together one day and worship you eternally forever and ever. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, which helps us to go back to the basics and look and say, what is the true gospel? That we are all one in Christ Jesus, all with the great hope of standing before the king and worshiping him forever and ever.